Welcome to another edition of the Flathead Beacon Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Drew, recording from the beautiful Flathead Valley. It's Saturday, September 10th. Just so you know, the Beacon Podcast is currently on an every other, or in this case, every third week kind of sporadic schedule these days, mostly to ensure that the episodes we decide to put out are about important stories that lend themselves to additional conversations in this audio format hoping to get back to a more regular production schedule soon. This week, I'm bringing a different look at a new story I reported on in this week's paper about Glacier National Park being awarded status as a wilderness quiet park by the nonprofit Quiet Parks International. QPI was co-founded by Gordon Hempton, a sound recorder and acoustic ecologist from Washington, who began working to preserve natural quiet decades ago after he realized his favorite spot in Olympic National Park a location in the Ho, a spot in the Ho rainforest he called One Square Inch of Silence, was no longer as acoustically pristine as it once was. In less than a decade, One Square Inch of Silence went from one of the quietest places in the country with the least amount of human-made noise intrusions to a place where flights into nearby SeaTac Airport and from a nearby naval base passed overhead every few minutes. Since then, Hempton has been an advocate for protecting places that still have minimal human-made intrusions, including the northern reaches of Glacier National Park. I talked to Gordon and other QPI staff at length about the importance of preserving natural soundscapes and in bringing you some excerpts of those conversations. Before we get to those chats, however, a quick reminder that this podcast is sponsored in part by members of the Flathead Beacon Editors Club. Members support all of our journalism in all of its forms, in print, online, and here in the podcast studio. And they do so for as little as $5 per month. Plus, they get some extra perks too. So to find out more or join today, visit beaconeditorsclub.com. This is the sound of morning on Kindla Lake in the northwest corner of Glacier National Park. It's the spot where data was collected last fall by a sound recordist with Quiet Parks International, a nonprofit that recently awarded Glacier as North America's first wilderness quiet park. Here's Gordon Hempton, co-founder of Quiet Park International, talking about his journey into the world of sound and conservation. planned on becoming a plant pathologist, but various circumstances that happened in nature by accident, I became convinced that I was not a listener. And if, if I was not a listener, then I didn't really know who I was. And I really didn't, didn't have confidence in becoming a plant pathologist. And my whole world was turned upside down. And then the first thing I did was hold a microphone in my hands. And that was a lucky moment in my life. Because for anyone that's held a microphone in their hands, the brain automatically doesn't have its filters that it applies 
to make us poor listeners and we become brilliant listeners. You know, it's like high fidelity listening and even the way a person talks and everything that's going on behind what a person is talking becomes important. And it was that aha moment. And, you know, as soon as you start listening, all the new information, the unedited information of life just starts coming towards you so fast and life becomes so exciting. So I spent two decades, spent a long time, things advanced in sound recording. So I was a professional and I did gravitate immediately towards recording wilderness soundscapes. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, this is really beautiful. It's really rare to find a pristine uh, soundscape to record. Someday this is going to be really valuable. And I don't know of anybody else at the time that was recording. So I figured, hey, I'm going to get rich. My <laughs> business model is these sounds are going to become really scarce. Um, and I'm going to be sitting on a treasure chest of wealth. But then... The other thing is, when you listen to the land, you kind of fall in love with the land, and then that business model becomes tragic. It's not enough uh, to become financially fortunate. It was heartbreaking to see all this stuff disappear, and also heartbreaking to see how the government what had natural quiet and natural soundscape on its list of protected resources, natural resources, but then nothing was substantially being done and everything was just like the, onto the road of extinction before it had even been heard. So I chose the place that I loved most, Olympic National Park, <laughs> established one square inch of silence and said, this is going to be the world's first quiet park. Okay. The first response I got was from the superintendent at the time at Olympic National Park who looks at me because we're basically neighbors in the town of Port Angeles. <laughs> Washington, and he goes, why do we need to preserve something that will never be endangered? And I told him, you know, that is actually the same argument that was against establishing a national park to begin with. Why do we need to have a national park when at that time nature was everywhere, wilderness was everywhere? And of course, I knew that while that was the perspective on the Olympic Peninsula, that everything else was vanishing. Fast forward 13 years into establishing One Square Inch of Silence Foundation on that mission. The Navy had upgraded its military training flights over the Olympic Peninsula, and now Olympic Park was, at times, one of the noisiest, loudest, polluted places around. And I went to One Square Inch to ask the quiet. Where did I screw up? And the quiet laughed at me and said, you know, yeah, this is how you screwed up. You thought the world would care about a some place off in the corner of a country and a place, location that they'll never visit when quiet is a right for everybody. And in that one moment, Quiet Parks International was born. And within the next year, our first wilderness quiet park was established in Ecuador. But still, the question in the United States wasn't um, why do we need to preserve something that is never endangered? The question was even more frightening than that is why is quiet important? And when someone asks you that question, because information doesn't determine belief, experience does, you knew this was a person uh, lived a noisy life. 
and had forgotten or perhaps never experienced quiet. And then COVID came along and gave us its gift of worldwide quiet for a substantial period of time. So much quiet that seismologists even were able to listen to the earth with higher detail than ever before since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. And nobody asked us, Matt, does anybody ask you anymore why is quiet important? Matt is Matt Nicholson, QPI's Director of Wilderness Quiet Parks. You'll hear more from Matt in a little while, but his audio wasn't quite as clear on this call as he was just back from the field at the time. Now, basically, people are coming to Quiet Parks International saying, how can we be next? And, of course, perhaps you know of Mary uh, there at uh, Quiet Glacier, and she's been a great advocate for the quiet of Glacier to be recognized and uh, it's through her efforts that quiet at Glacier has, you know, reached the point that today we have the data. And yes, it's passed. The award is certain. Mary McClelland is a longtime resident of the North Fork section of Glacier National Park. She grew up there and has been a longtime advocate for the natural spaces she lives in. McClellan founded Friends for a Quiet Glacier Coalition, a local group dedicated to reducing noise from human-caused travel in the park, particularly from air traffic. She was the one who submitted Glacier's nomination to QPI. Well, I think um, growing up in the National Park Service, Stoning Glacier was the foundation for it. And so in that sort of a setting, you have a, a natural appreciation for the natural sounds because there aren't a lot of other invasive noises. I really kind of took the baton from people, many people who had worked on it before me, including, you know, Glacier Park staff and my, my dad. Mary's father was a Park Service employee who worked in Glacier for decades and once wrote that the natural quiet and solitude that characterized Glacier National Park when we first moved there in 1965 is gone. This loss elicits a type of grieving for the lost possibility of quiet experiences. So there have been a lot of people involved, and, and I just thought it was a, a valuable effort to try and preserve you know, what natural places and natural sounds we could, because you can't make it. I want my kids, visitors, to be able to go out and experience on a hike quiet and the quietness that it brings to your mind and the, you know, the peace and quiet that we need in being able to find solutions to life's difficult problems. (laughs) Gordon Hempton says that while protecting soundscapes is important to prevent a natural resource from going extinct, it isn't just a conservation benefit. There's an economic value to this work, too. Quiet tourism is on the rise. Places that are naturally quiet have been That's one of four factors that is expected to lead post-COVID economic tourist development in Africa, for example, along with a view of dark sky. Yeah. Okay. And so this is an opportunity when you consider how much noise impact a single helicopter and a single flight seer has on the region below. um, This is an opportunity to have a higher carrying capacity of tourism 
and a higher economic development, too, for the surrounding communities. Before the discussions over conserving soundscapes for any reason can begin, recorders have to locate them first. Here's Gordon again. And the big surprise, too, is that we get a lot of false leads, okay? And we get a lot of false leads for two reasons. Um, what What is the figure? 20%, maybe if it's, if it's even more than that, of those individuals who have noise-induced hearing loss and aren't even aware of it, okay? So it's quiet to them, but it's not a quiet to a person that has normal hearing. And then the other false lead is, they were there at one o'clock or two o'clock on a windy day, and um, sound doesn't really propagate very far at all under those conditions. It's at just before sunrise and after sunrise during those early morning hours that the birds are singing, taking advantage of the time that their messages do propagate so clearly and well. That's the critical time that uh, so many places that appear quiet in the midday are definitely not quiet at sunrise. Here's Matt Mickelson talking about searching for locations to collect data. His audio isn't great, but bear with me. Before we even show up, it's talking with people on the ground, looking at maps, looking at uh, light pollution, looking at all these other indicators um, to try and figure out, okay, where are like going to the sun road? Probably not going to be quiet. Like We're staying away from there. So, like, yeah. Where can we find these quiet bits? Because it's not a whole park that ends up being quiet at specific points. Hmm. Once we get on the ground, essentially we do these acoustic surveys, um, which last anywhere from like a minimum of, of four hours to a maximum of days long, oh, wow. where we deploy these really high sensitivity microphone systems. Um, and along with kind of trained ears, um, like think the equivalent of wine tasters, you know, we know soundscapes in the same kind of way and can pick up on these subtle things. Um, measure what we call the noise-free interval. There's no minimum sound pressure level or anything like that that has to be reached because, you know, the Amazon jungle is super loud. Gordon really has innovated, and, and we've, we've kept going with this idea that measuring noise-free interval is the best way to measure how quiet a place is or, or how natural the soundscape is. Um, it's important to note that any singular event can disqualify a park immediately. Um, a fighter jet passing over, yeah. a, heli- a low helicopter pass, just happens once during the survey period, will disqualify it. Nick McMahon, a QPI sound recordist, spent several days in Glacier collecting data and recording the noises in the northern section of the park. By their recommendations and Gordon's recommendations, I went up to Kintlow Lake, um, which is way up on the northwestern side of the park, and camped for three days in the um, car camping ground. And basically would hike along the lake every day, listening, and then come evening, find a location near the camp, but not in the camp, um, to set up my recording gear, um, mm-hmm. which was basically what I was using to test for noise intrusions by, by jets or other machinery or, or whatever that might be. Yeah, I usually, I usually did it maybe a couple hundred yards from the camp because I would like check it periodically. I mean, it was like, super exciting going out to listen to see what I was listening to. Um, Gordon's, I'm sure, experienced this, but sometimes when you get the, the mics kind of turned up and it's a really quiet environment, you're like really kind of searching for any sound. Mm-hmm. And it's really kind of this almost out-of-body experience as you're just so focused on what you're listening to. Um, and you hear something way off in the distance and you're like, oh, what, what was that? Um, and it's, it's just very magical. 
so I, I spent I spent three nights there, kind of doing that the hiking and, and sampling the area during the day um, with a sound meter as well, seeing how um, quiet it could get, and mm. it got as low as my sound meter could go, essentially, um, which wow. is about thirty decibels for uh, any outdoor place that's very quiet, and uh, especially a place that has trees around because the trees make so much sound with just air movement through them. He's not kidding. Here's a clip of the wind in the trees near Kintla Lake. places I've been in the in the US. Gordon and I have gone on some trips and I've done a few other things and it's probably still the quietest place that I've been consistently. Here's Gordon. What I've particularly learned to enjoy over the years because John Muir, also known as the father of our national park system, uh, he writes about the different sounds that each plant makes, the trees make in the wind or the rain and everything like they all have their unique sounds. And so I've I've been listening to like the Ho Valley, for example, and um, conifers, you know, they make this humming sound as the wind blows through. Mm. Deciduous trees rustle, of course, but each conifer, its pitch matches its um, needle length. And the combination of tones in the Ho Valley is definitive of the Ho Valley because the the amount of western red cedar, the amount of Sitka spruce, the amount of Doug fir, those are the dominant conifers there. Whereas you get into Glacier, it, it's not only that that goes on, but because you're a high elevation, you're no longer nearly at sea level, you're in a more rarefied atmosphere, and the atmosphere is less elastic, so it feels much more spacious, right? Mm. It's almost like when you get into mountain air, but instead of breathing mountain air, you're hearing mountain air. Here's the staggering fact, is that under optimum conditions Mm -hmm. of sound propagation, noise pollution can travel 20 miles. The area of a circle, what is that, pi r squared? I'm not going to do the math in front of you, but with with r being 20 miles, it's more than 1,000 square miles. So if you find one place that meets our standards, the quiet impact of that one place is huge. The last four decades have shown us clearly that quiet will disappear and we'll Mm -hmm. lose them entirely. Our only hope is to recognize what we value and then strive to preserve it. Now, prior to Quiet Parks International, there was not a single place on planet Earth off limits to noise pollution. Not one place recognized for natural quiet. And Matt 
he's seen in his lifetime places get tremendously noisy and places that he's gone in his career, which was just a treasure trove of natural quiet and now very difficult to even get a, a minute, if that. Natural quiet is even more important for wildlife than for us. Remember, it's not just about us. It's not about just our spiritual journey. Um, wildlife, they evolved to send their messages and receive messages. That's just for them to communicate and escape the detection of a predator or to detect a predator. That's so deeply ingrained, it's as important as food and water. Even though it hasn't been as important to us, perhaps, as wildlife managers, we hardly have even recognized it, but it's very important to them, right? So it's good for wildlife. Now, on to us. The reality of our National Park Service is they're under a mandate to serve the public and do economic development. So whether it's the economic development for quiet or it's the economic development for, oh, what do we want, a class A RVs, whatever the public wants. I mean, it's within their mandate, and that will happen. If, if the mandate is for flight seeing, if that's what the, how the public is going to be served, then that happens, all right? And every indicator is showing that that doesn't serve wildlife, and it doesn't serve the visitors that are on the ground and this is a new opportunity that's being presented that the travel industry itself is behind, is promoting, and is really taking off. I personally have been in a valley in Sri Lanka with and shared it with a thousand other people, and there's been natural quiet. Okay, It's how you go and how the context is set up. You know, in the same way, when I pass and visit cathedrals or churches or temples and places like this, places that we, you know, are known for their quiet. But there are no signs that tell you to be quiet. There are no signs that say, turn your cell phones off. We know this because of the context of the place, how it's already labeled for us. And similarly, it's like, you know, I mean, I don't know how you walk on the trail, but when I walk on the trail, I like to listen and observe. And when I pass or I'm approached and from a long ways off, the people that are still using their city voices, talking fast and about something that has nothing to do with that place, I think that their experience could have been shifted and they might get something more worthwhile if at the trailhead said you're about to enter um, the whole River Quiet Trail, for example. Then it's like, oh, geez. It never occurred to me. And let's listen. Awarding Glacier a Wilderness Quiet Park is just an acknowledgement by QPI. It carries no authority and is tied to no management actions. Glacier Park officials and officials with the National Park Service's Natural Sounds and Night Skies Division were adamant that they do not endorse QPI and did not solicit the award, but said it was a reflection of the work done by McClelland and QPI. Here's Matt again. There's no laws that get passed. There's yeah. nothing federally, state, or even within the park necessarily that changes any of the laws or bylaws that happen. Mm-hmm. But it's a grassroots thing. There are people in Glacier who've been caring about quiet the past 40 or 50 years, helping to empower them and give them resources, connect them with experts. We really view our role as like recognizing these beautiful places. 
So yeah, this is a, a public-facing award that's meant to be enjoyed by the people who visit this place as a resource for people seeking natural quiet, um, and as a way for us too to like stand up for all the living beings who are not humans who need the quiet to continue their successful lives. Here's Mary McClelland one last time. It's been a, a personal mission to see it through as long as I can. I mean, as long as I'm able to feel like I'm making, you know, a difference. I'm like one of so many people that are working and caring about this. And that's why it's so valuable to me, too, because it's not just for me what I value. I want other people who didn't have that experience growing up to be able to have a place to go and see what it's like. That's the show for today. Thank you to everyone at QPI and Mary McClelland at Quiet Glacier, as well as park staff and the others I talked to for this story and for this podcast. Instead of a news of the week to catch you up on, I am just going to leave you with this audio clip, which is a couple minutes of overnight sound recording from Kintla Lake. Enjoy the natural quiet. <laughs> 